Hello, and welcome to all of you to Not Another Business Podcast, where we break down business news and cultural events according to rules we've entirely made up. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dechter-McCarthy, ex-corporate lawyer and current <coughs> general counsel at Ness. And fun fact, KJ and I have been friends since our acapella days at Harvard. Dims and the do's, wear that cool, everyone. <laughs> um, disclaimer that I have to start with is these views are our own and not those of our companies. Today on the show, finally, we are talking about Twitter. Twitter's sale to Elon Musk. It closed last Thursday. We've talked about it many times. Is now the right time? Is now the right time? And today's the day. Today's the day. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this deal... I mean, it feels like it took forever to close because mm -hmm. it feels like we have spent all of 2022 talking about the will they or won't they. But in reality, mm -hmm. when you think about the fact that he, you know, made his first sort of like offer uh, in April and it's closing, you know, it closed in October compared to most deals that actually I mm -hmm. think is pretty fast. Mm -hmm. But because of all the back and forth and because Elon Musk is Elon Musk, it felt like it lasted for an eternity. But now that it's closed, I do think it's the right time for us to chat about it because I think we'll have a lot to speculate on, <laughs> which is the Absolutely. I mean, what's so interesting about this deal, and we'll get into it, is did he even want to do this? Right? You right. don't actually, <laughs> you don't really think about that. Does the acquirer actually want to acquire? Um, yeah. But that is, that was a question for many months in 2022. Yeah. Uh, 100%. So yeah. I, I'm excited to get into it and figure out if Twitter will be better or worse mm -hmm. under Elon's rule. Um, but we'll get to it right after our shameless plug. All right, folks. So for today, I'm the only one plugging. And as always, I am plugging Minted Cosmetics. Minted is short for pigmented. We create high quality everyday beauty products for women of every hue. And you're in luck because by the time this episode drops, we will have begun our Black Friday sale, which means mm. the entire site is 25% off for the rest of November. So you're welcome. Head on over to mintedcosmetics.com or if you pref prefer to shop in person, you can find us at Target and Ulta. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, it's TikTok o'clock, everyone. TikTok o'clock. Okay, I was gonna be really <laughs> mad if you didn't sing, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> As a reminder, this is a segment where we dive into our listeners' social media comments. So, KJ, you posted last week. Um, what did people say? Yes. Well, um, the people had a lot to say, actually, on one clip in particular. So I posted the clip that we did talking about all of the sexual harassment mm -hmm. women are experiencing in Facebook's metaverse, mm -hmm. uh, to which one user named Here for the Puppies, love that name, <laughs> replied, Facebook can't even police their public advertising posts. How are they going to safe have how are they going to control safety features in the metaverse? Um, you know, which I think is a pretty fair point. 
And another user named Queen Tizzo agreed with the assessment that Facebook is on the decline, though she thinks it's going to happen much more quickly than I think you and I spoke about on the episode. So she wrote, they have five years tops. It's a dying platform with low frequency. So she just got straight to the point. She doesn't think these guys are going to see 2027. Okay. So what are your thoughts on, uh, on those comments? I'll start with the latter one first. I, trying to be objective, I do think in the Q3 earnings report, uh, Meta actually reported an increase in daily active users. Um, now, I but it, believe but that was a decrease in revenue. Yeah. But a decrease in revenue. So yeah, you know, but both metrics are important. Right. So yep. you know, I, I would say that that is one that that indicates there might be hope if people are actually. Uh, using the platform more. If they keep on showing that, then they might be able to retain advertisers, right? And I do just think that they, you know, even if they're dying, they're still so big, right? Yeah. They're still so big to begin with. So, I, I, you know, I would I would stick with our initial assessment about how long it might take. Um, and as for the other point with respect to safety in the, I mean, I just can't even believe we have to talk about it, but that's probably yeah. just my own naivete. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I can't believe we have to talk about it. And now that I realize we do, like, do I trust Meta to be able to take care of it? No, which is why I'm not joining the Metaverse. And, uh, you know, that I think that says something because I have mm -hmm. been on Facebook, you know, and maybe not recently, but you're not going to get me to be living my life in the Metaverse. That's for sure. And yeah. it's just really drives that home. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, Facebook, as we spoke about in our episode, has done very little with the information they've had now for years around um, the safety of young girls on their platforms, mm -hmm. uh, particularly Instagram. So, I mean, yeah, why would I think that they're going to go out of their way to protect people in their metaverse? They just they don't have a great track record for that, you know, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I agree to that extent with um here for the puppies and <laughs> in terms of queen tizzo's comment that they have five years tops look she could be right i i do think the platform is on decline but to, like you said it's just they're so big they're massive mm -hmm. their war chest is you know over 40 billion dollars at any given time that's so much cash mm -hmm. uh, so i i think they'll be around for longer than five years i do all right. Well, thank you so much for your comments. We love to yeah. see you engage. Um, keep, keep them coming. Keep them coming. Okay, guys, it is time to get into our main topic, which is what the hell is Twitter going to look like now that it is <laughs> <laughs> going to be run by Elon Musk? And if you're new to the show, we always start with the facts. We break down what we know to be true before we get into the speculation. And then finally, we give our, our verdict for our final thoughts. So, Danny, we know that Elon Musk closed his deal to buy Twitter on Thursday, October 27th. But I think we need to dive into how we got here. So let's just let's start from the beginning. Let's rewind it all the way back. How did all of this start? Um, this is a saga of all sagas um, when it comes to the business world. So on April 4th. 2022, Elon Musk announced that he had purchased a 9.1% stake of Twitter, uh, which made him the largest shareholder of the platform. Now, mind you, and I think this is relevant, um, he filed the incorrect disclosure form 
and he filed it 11 days late, which is just kind of a harbinger of what was to come. Such a lawyerly note for you to make. I love that. I would just like to declare. Well, it's just one of the most fascinating things, and we'll talk about it more in the speculation, is Elon Musk doesn't give up. Okay, he yeah, just doesn't. he really doesn't. And doesn't. if there's, I mean, if there's anything he cares about, I can tell you it is not the law. Okay, right. it is not securities <laughs> laws. Um, Agreed. And that Agreed. is a running theme. And it, and it, I didn't realize, even though I've been, you know, kind of paying attention, I didn't realize actually that it started from the very beginning. Like Literally. From the yeah. very beginning, right? He filed the disclosure that you file if you're going to be a passive investor, like no interest in taking over. But Clearly, he had other aims, and he filed yeah. it late. So it's just it's just amazing from from day one. Um, anyway, so he you know announces that he uh, has a nine point one percent stake in the company. He then tweets a poll asking people what he could do to make the company better, um, and Twitter responds by offering him a board seat, um, mm-hmm. and it seems like he's going to accept. Uh, like you know, he says publicly on April fifth. Looking forward to working with Parag, that's the CEO, and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in the coming months. And Twitter itself also, you know, publicly posted um, that Musk was going to be joining the board. What seems like happened is Musk probably saw an exception to the board's policy, which prohibits any director from owning 15% or more of Twitter shares. That's what it seems like happened. Because there are articles um, in Bloomberg News and other sources indicating that an exception was not granted. <laughs> okay? Right. right. Um, and on April 9th, which is the day that um, Musk was supposed to become a member of the board, he instead officially declines the offer and publicly states so. Yeah. And there are, by the way, there are amazing texts that have come out in the, all the legal proceedings after that show some of the text messages between Musk and, and board members, including the CEO, um, leading up to April 9th, just what a treasure trove. Um, but but it shows like there was not a foundation of a good relationship between Musk and the CEO. It was very mm-hmm. clear that they speak in different languages. You know, Musk speaks in like poop emojis and and the CEO speaks in like what you would expect, you know, probably led to tension and this decision for Musk to decline the board seat. Anyway, so he turns it down. And it's pretty clear that he is looking for even more control over the company, right? Yeah. So yeah. on April 14th, which is just 10 days after the announcement that he purchased 9% of the company, um, news broke that Twitter, uh, that he made Twitter a buyout offer for $54.20 a share, um, which amounted to $44 billion for the company. Um, the company had a $37 billion market cap, so a nice premium. And you yeah. expect a premium in an acquisition, but you know that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty good premium. Yeah. Um, and on April 25th, Twitter accepts the deal. Not just over Twitter, right? This wasn't just like, a, we like this. <laughs> like a, like I just a want tweet. To know. You know, they signed a merger agreement, okay? They yes. filed it with the SEC, the whole shebang. Like, they signed a definitive agreement. Yes, for a binding Musk, contract. A binding contract. <laughs> yes. For Musk to buy Twitter at this valuation, right? And so yes. he starts lining up financing. He sells 10, 10 million shares of Tesla stock for um, $8.4 billion and plans to finance the rest with debt, right? And he does, he makes that sale, okay? He sells his stock. So this is yeah. like, he seems to be buying Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, lo- it looks like it's happening right. at this point. So by right. the, it sounds like by the end of April 25th, yeah. we're all under the impression Musk is 
buying Twitter, not just because he tweeted it, but because he signed a binding contract and made moves to get the finances in order. Right. And so, you know, obviously we're speaking about it in this way, even though we know that in the end he did buy Twitter because there's a lot that happened in between. (laughs) So (laughs) KJ, tell us what happened between April 25th and October 27th. Lord. Well, this is when things got extremely messy. And as you mentioned, they were messy before. Okay, we didn't have access to all of the text messages in real time. But the reason we got access to the text messages um, (laughs) after the fact is because it got so messy that Musk sued Twitter and Twitter sued Musk all because Musk decided he he basically got cold feet over this Mm -hmm. deal. Right. And tried to back out. So. In July, so now we're, you know, we started in April, so now we've moved to May, June, July. Mm-hmm. In July, he officially noticed, uh, files notice with the SEC that he was terminating the deal because, in his words, Twitter was in material breach of their agreement and had made false and misleading statements during negotiations. And mm-hmm. so... If you're thinking, well, what were these false and misleading um, (laughs) statements? Basically, what he's claiming is that they lied about how many bots are on their platform. So Twitter Mm -hmm. has said to the SEC and, you know, in the documents, what they've said is less than 5% of the users on Twitter are bots. And basically, Musk is like, I don't believe you. I don't buy it. The bot problem is much bigger than that. And so I based my deal on believing what you said in those documents, but you've yet to back it up. You haven't given me enough proof that that's actually the case. So Twitter actually ended up, now I am not a tech person, okay? So I (laughs) am not going to describe this entirely right, but Twitter essentially, you know, opened the kimono and Mm -hmm. sent him all of their data so that he and his engineers could look through and see exactly what they were saying and see that it was true. Like less than 5% of the users are bots. So his claim that they didn't give him the evidence that he asked for really couldn't be upheld because they gave him, again, not a tech person, but to a lay person, it looked like they provided everything that you could provide in terms of evidence around uh, your user base. Yeah, and I think also they're they're very transparent that they are arriving at that number based on a particular methodology. And that right. methodology um, includes the use of some judgment. But they were being very transparent about that. And that is acceptable, right? So, right. so I think that's the other thing that made it just like so implausible that this is a valid reason to terminate the deal. Yeah, 100%. And one might think if you had some questions about bots, Shouldn't those questions have been asked before you signed the binding contract? Nobody told you that you had to sign this contract in a matter of, you know, 18 days. Like literally you made the offer on the ninth. You signed the contract on the 25th, not even a a full moon passed before you signed this contract. (laughs) So, so why did you do it that quickly? No one was forcing your hand. You made that decision because you're impulsive. Mm-hmm. But no one forced you to do it. And now I know I'm getting into speculation. So back to the facts now. Right. <laughs> so he says they've got a, a bot problem. But a lot of people, while this is happening and he's sort of pushing back in July, a lot of people call BS. A lot of people basically think, look, this isn't about bots. This is about the fact that you recognize you are vastly 
overpaying for this company because Twitter's stock price continued to decline in this mm-hmm. time frame, right? So by July, their stock price was down to $36, but you offered $54. So that's mm-hmm. quite a premium, right? And mm-hmm. now you're going on the record because by the way, after he um, submits this notice that he plans to terminate the agreement, he goes on a tear on Twitter talking about how terrible the company is, which right. of course isn't going to help the stock price. So with every passing day, it looks like the company is becoming less and less valuable, but you're in a binding agreement to purchase it for a certain price. So mm-hmm. a lot of people think that this is why he's actually trying to back out of the deal and he's just using the bots essentially as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, what does Twitter do? Twitter files a lawsuit, right? Twitter is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is what you're not going to do, okay? Right. <laughs> we have been through hell and back with you, you you know, th- throwing dirt on our name, and right. we've signed this binding contract, and you are going to uphold it. So Twitter ended up taking them to court. And I feel like given that a lot of what happened in there is legalese, maybe you can, <laughs> you can help us understand what happened from there. Yeah. So, um, the suit is brought in Delaware chancery court, which I saw you know, some of the popular media sites saying like, no one's ever heard of this court. In reality, like <laughs> Delaware law for lay people, it might be true. Delaware law, the Delaware chancery court is like the God of corporate Corporate law and corporate Ooh, litigation. Lord. Not, not people <laughs> hating on the court. Now the court's just, <laughs> the court is just trying to do what the court does. Oh, right, Lord. right, right. <laughs> anyway, so um, Judge McCormick with the Delaware Chancery Court is assigned to this case, and she's not messing around. She basically right away she's like, okay, going to trial October seventeenth, despite Musk's request to have any trial start um, much later in February twenty twenty three. Um, and between the time that, you know, the trial date is assigned and late September, Musk is just repeatedly, tr- repeatedly trying to delay the trial. Um, this does not work. Yeah. <laughs> Juicy texts come out, right, as part of discovery. Elon's supposed to be deposed in early October. And then perhaps to avoid that, um, you know, he makes another offer. And Judge McCormick says, okay, look, if, you, if you're going to make another offer, we can pause the proceedings. But you have until... October 28th to try and work out another deal. And if not, you're going to trial then. Like you're, you're doing this. And yeah. so that is why this ultimately closed in, on October 27th because he had <laughs> not more than another 24 hours. And I think all the signs were showing that Twitter did not actually violate the merger agreement. And so they enter into a deal for precisely the share price that was offered in April. So there's no new deal. It's, the share price. It's um, the same deal. And what's so wild to me is, I mean, it gets back to what you were saying at the top mm-hmm. and his flagrant disrespect for the law. Mm-hmm. You literally made all of us go through this for months mm-hmm. and months, knowing that Twitter did not, in fact, breach their contract. Mm-hmm. You just didn't want to own Twitter anymore and mm-hmm. just felt like I'm rich. And generally speaking, I get what I want and I don't want to mm-hmm. do this anymore. So I'm going to back out <laughs> and basically got your ass handed to you by Judge McCormick um, right. of the chance uh, of the chancery. She was right. like, not in the chancery. OK, that's not how, <laughs> that is not how things work out here. So it just is. It, it was wild to see play out that way. I will say, I mean, Musk 
is probably like the most aggressive version of this, but this is not uncommon. Like I have seen in successful, um, you know, business clients, they just don't believe the law should be what it is. They just, mm. you know, they, they get to run their business based on their gut, based on their intuition, based on what they think is common sense. And they just don't care what the law says. They just feel deep in their bones that there should be a different outcome <laughs> or they should be able to get their way out of it. And right, right, right. sometimes that works. And most times if there's a lot of precedent, which there is when it comes to mergers and acquisitions in Delaware, that's not going to work. Right, right. Um, but just so, just so interesting. Anyway, so now we get to speculation. Um, and I think it's worth it to start talking about some of Elon's like stated vision and some of the moves he's, he started making since the, since the acquisition closed last mm -hmm. Thursday. So tell us about that. Yeah. Well, in terms of his vision, he's said, he's said before on record, I think he's even tweeted this before that he considers Twitter the de facto town square, right? By that, he means this is the gathering place for a lot of people, a lot of ideas, and it needs to be protected in terms mm -hmm. of free speech, right? And, and so a lot of what he has gone on record about in terms of wanting to change with regards to Twitter is their moderation policies because mm -hmm. they, he feels like they're too strict and he feels like if this is the town square, if this is our meeting place, free speech has to be just as upheld here as it is, you know, on the actual streets in our country and in the world, right? Because this is a cornerstone of democracy. Um, and so he's said a lot of words about that. And he feels like he's the person who's going to be able to come in and save Twitter and save essentially free speech while he's at it. So part of how he wants to do that is by open sourcing the algorithm. Again, I'm not a tech person, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I believe he feels like, listen, if this is our town square, then we should all have access to and ownership of it in some way. Mm -hmm. And open sourcing the algorithm is going to go a long way into, you know, again, sort of reinforcing free speech, but also reinforcing uh, this idea that Twitter belongs to us all. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we can speak about whether we think that that's nonsense or not, but the New York Times also got their hands on a pitch deck that Musk showed to investors because in order to close this deal, he couldn't just pay the $44 billion on his own, right? He mm -hmm. spent, I think when it was all said and done, he actually spent closer to $20 billion of his own money because mm -hmm. he had the shares he bought up front plus, you know, the $8 billion in Tesla stock that he liquidated. And then he actually had to go back and liquidate more Tesla stock. So I think it was closer to $20 billion of his own money when it was all said and done. And then the rest was funded by debt and other equity investors. So he had to go on a bit of a roadshow, pitch to other investors. And one of the things that he pitched was he doesn't want Twitter to be as beholden to advertisers. Right. And because that's part of why moderation ends up being so important because advertisers don't want to be advertising on a platform that's, you know, littered with hate speech or all the rest. Right. So he feels like we need to pull back from being so beholden on advertisers. How do we do that? Well, we bring in more subscription revenue. So he had a plan in his little deck 
to get to $10 billion in revenue from subscriptions by 2028, which, by the way, would be double the subscription revenue that Twitter has now. Uh, and so the way he expected to do that was a, one of his main sort of goals uh, is to charge money for charge more money for Twitter Blue. So Twitter Blue is the premium v version of Twitter. If you've never heard of it, it's probably because you don't have it and don't want it. Very few people currently have it. Uh, but it's a more premium vision of Twitter, so you don't see as many ads. Um, and uh, under Musk's sort of new vision, this is a way for you to also pay for the verified checkmark. Mm. Um, so, which, you know, is, has become, I guess, a little bit of a status symbol on Twitter. It's meant to just be a way to verify that people are who they are, right. but it does feel like it's become a bit of a status symbol on Twitter and he thinks people would be willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's expecting that he'll be able to grow Twitter blue subscribers very substantially over the next, you know, call it five to 10 years. And that will end up becoming a really large source of revenue for Twitter so that they're not as reliant on advertisers. And then along with that, he's also just betting that he's going to be able to grow Twitter users in general, whether they're paid or not, um, at a really rapid rate. And my guess is it's because he feels like when he open sources the algorithm and makes free speech even freer, more mm -hmm. people will flock to this platform and the growth will start to uh, become much more rapid than it's been in prior years. And then his final right. sort of like goal is to reduce the number of employees at Twitter so that the bottom line, um, the earnings are much better. So those are some of the things that he's laid out both in his investor deck, but also that he's spoken about publicly. So what are your thoughts? What do you think? <laughs> well, look. <laughs> Was this a smart move on Elon's part? Right, right, right. I let me say this. I think it's pretty clear that I'm no fan of Elon Musk <laughs> and that I don't think this was a good move and that I do not think he's going to do a good job. And I have a lot of reasons why I think that. But I think it might be better if we actually <laughs> dig into some of the reasons why it could be a good thing. And I think because you are a lawyer and you are <laughs> better at being impartial than I am, that you should kick us off and give us some of the okay, reasons okay, why okay. this might be a good move for Twitter. You know, I was thinking about this and I had all these thoughts outlined, but, but there's one particular thought that's coming to the forefront right now, which is that if, if the question is, is this good for Elon? The answer depends on what does he want, right? Um, mm -hmm. But does he want money? Like if most people would think he'd want money. And I don't know right. if this is actually going to succeed. But I do right. think, and I've read a ton about how he just genuinely loves being a Twitter user. He loves the game of getting in the spats, right? He like love. He mm -hmm. just loves the rapid curtness that he can engage in with others. And mm -hmm. so it's probably a blast for him to run this thing, you know? <laughs> so I feel like he's probably having the time of his life. And, and you know, how lucky are you to get to spend your days working on a company and a product you love? So from that sense, like, maybe it was a good idea. Okay, but I don't think that's what people were really expecting me to talk about. So so from the company <laughs> perspective, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit in our last episode with Facebook. I, I think taking it private 
is is a choice that probably will have benefits, right? It doesn't mean you have the, you don't have the same pressures from the public markets. You don't have the same disclosure obligations, which means you know you can make your north star metrics a little bit different, right? You can take a longer horizon because in terms of product development and planning, because you're not accountable and you're not obligated to have these earnings calls that are you know broadcasted publicly and reported publicly. So yeah. I do think that that could be a good thing for Twitter. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, reports of employees talking about how just, you know, the code hasn't evolved that much if you compare it to other, to other big tech companies. And maybe they just haven't had the time or resources or appropriate management to invest in really elevating it. Um, and it seems like Musk, who does have an engineering background, um, I mean, the CEO of, of, former CEO of Twitter did too, but, um, it seems like he's very focused on that. And maybe this is yeah. the opportunity now that they're private. The other thing I'll say is that we've discussed when it came to the Broadway episode, charge people mm -hmm. what they're willing to pay for, right? Maybe yep. he's not wrong about the willingness of certain Twitter users to pay more for that check, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I do think it's totally asinine to say, like, I think he tweeted this, this lord and vassal system of, like, this group date right. deciding whether you get a blue check needs to go. That to me is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard because the, the point of the blue check is verification a, a verification system that's based solely on money. Well, fraudsters have money. So like that <laughs> money is not the basis on which you can validate that someone is who they say they are. But in any event, if people are willing to pay for it, maybe that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and then I would say the third thing is he clearly is willing to slash the number of people, the number of employees. And mm -hmm. um, while I don't want to necessarily be a proponent of like mass layoffs, it does seem like compared to other tech companies um, that their revenue per employee is quite low. Um, and maybe this is the right move for them. Maybe they do need to just be leaner and he's mm -hmm. clearly willing to do it. Um, and so in that sense, you know, maybe he will, he will improve, improve Twitter in, in that regard. Cause it didn't seem like the prior CEO was willing to make perhaps what are necessary adjustments. I think those are the, yeah. um, objective arguments for why this acquisition might end up redounding to the benefit of Twitter as a company. And lastly, I'll just say for shareholders who were bought out, this is great. <laughs> So now I'm, sure they're happy about, I'm is... sure they're happy about that $54 and 20 cents a share. So you know. for sure. I, I think, I mean, there's been a lot of people. We talked about people, uh, the business world having a dunk fest on uh, Facebook last week. I think a lot mm -hmm. of folks are having a bit of a dunk fest on Elon right now because mm -hmm. Basically, everybody won except Elon in this deal. I mean, the share, <laughs> the shareholders made out like bandits. He fired the executive suite, but they've all got golden parachutes, although we're going to talk about that. Like, you know, and not like $2 million golden parachutes. We're talking like $40 million, $50 million golden parachutes, well, right? So, Elon, you know, Elon can get away with not paying it. Because he doesn't believe we'll in the law. We'll see. Because we, he, he does not. That's as sarcasm. we know, he doesn't believe okay. in the law. Right. But as we also know, down in Chancery Court, they right. <laughs> they're not playing these games. So right. Um. So here here are my here are my arguments why yeah. I think that this is not going to work out um, mm -hmm. nearly as well as at least Elon thinks it will. First of all, you know I feel like everyone 
loves to assume that Elon Musk is some genius because mm. he's the CEO of Tesla. But I would just like to remind folks that he did not found Tesla. He mm. bought into Tesla. It was not his idea and he didn't birth it into the world. He mm. just had enough money to buy in and then took over as CEO. So I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm just saying I think people give him way more credit mm -hmm. than they should, particularly when his company has not been profitable, profitable most of its in most of its existence and mm -hmm. his problems with his supply chain have uh, abound. About <laughs> like how long does it take people to even get a Tesla this many years in? I mean, I just I really take issue when people act as if this man is some, you know, God's gift to engineering mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I don't see it. All right. So that's number one. Number two, with regards to charging people for the, the check marks, my I personally think this is a terrible idea because mm -hmm. a lot of the people who have check marks are some of your top creators on mm -hmm. Twitter. They are your power users. Charging creators to make content when every other platform pays their top creators to make content is wild to mm. me. Like, I just, I don't understand that. And as far as I'm concerned, the people who are going to be willing to pay for this little check is going to primarily be public figures, right? Like not, not like celebrity public, figures, but like politicians, because they absolutely need to make sure that like, if it's Biden tweeting, we know it's Biden tweeting. Right. And corporations. But like, honestly, that's not exciting to me. Making sure that Dove's tweets are from right. Dove. Who cares? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's not exciting to me. That doesn't give me as a user of Twitter any extra value. So I just... I just don't see this doing what he thinks it's going to do. And also, if he literally opens it up to anybody, anybody mm -hmm. can spend $8 a month and get verified, then being verified means nothing. Right. Then it literally right. means nothing. I can play for, pay for the blue check mark and call myself Beyonce because I paid the $8. So then the blue check mark becomes worth nothing. So I just think that that is a terrible idea. I think most people are not going to be willing to do it. And it's already like people have already been polled about this. So literally on Friday, the day after the deal closed, mm. um, I believe someone who's like close to Musk did a poll asking people, how much would you be willing to pay for a blue check mark? And mm -hmm. the vast majority of respondents were like, nothing would not pay zero dollars. Like, you know, like people Was this just a poll on Twitter, understand. like a public poll? It was a poll. Yeah, it was a Twitter okay. poll. It was a Twitter poll. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And most people were like, I'm not for it. So I, I don't think it's going to bring in nearly as much revenue as he thinks it's going to bring in. Mm -hmm. And I also think even if it works, it's going to make the platform less valuable if any and everybody can be verified. So that idea to me, nonsense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then if we get back to this, this, this idea of Musk having no respect whatsoever for the law <laughs> and for contracts, ultimately those sorts of things do result in like really negative outcomes for companies. Maybe not all the time, mm -hmm. but a lot of the time. 
And one of the ways that I predict it's going to result in really negative outcomes for this company is executives are not going to want to work for this man. Because as we alluded to, he's already trying to negate the golden parachutes for the executives that he just right. fired. So literally, you know, the deal closed Thursday night by Friday morning. He had fired the CEO, the chief uh, counsel, um, mm-hmm. the chief, just, I forget what all, but at least four or five, like there were top, four, top, yeah, executives. Four top executives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of them had golden parachutes, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially for anyone who's not familiar is a clause basically a big severance clause, right? Like my severance clause might typically be three, four months. This is no millions of dollars if you're forced out. Um, And he's now trying to negate them with no, with no reason, with no real justification. Right. He's saying they were terminated for cause, which is, yeah. Which like the termination for cause provisions are like you engaged in fraud, right? You did something extremely malicious. Like that's not what happened here. And I do want to say, I think a lot of people hear the term golden parachute and think um, that it's some protection that shouldn't exist for, for top level executives who like aren't good at their jobs. In fact, like it is a mechanism that actually protects shareholders in some regard, because a lot of executives know that an acquisition will result in their displacement, right? And in which case, they wouldn't be incentivized to evaluate whether a deal is truly the best for its shareholders, right? So a golden parachute gives executives incentive to get the deal done, right? <laughs> an incentive to have the shareholders then benefit from it. So it's a, actually an important mechanism um, for mergers and acquisitions and for benefiting the people who the corporation is set up to benefit the shareholders. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think that's such a great point because it's actually, it's something I hadn't realized until, mm-hmm. you know, you, you sent me some documents sort of like going over sort of the legal reasons why mm-hmm. you'd want a golden parachute in place. And when I thought about it, I was like, oh, actually that does make sense. Cause if I, if I put yeah. myself in the CEO's shoes, right. If I knew that upon an acquisition, there was like a 95% chance <laughs> I was going to be fired, then I really might fight against a deal. Right. Even if it was in the shareholder's best interest, I might be like, look, I like running Twitter. This right. is fun, you know, and I'm getting paid <laughs> right. well. And, and right. you know, right. I'm I'm a top dog at one of the top tech companies. Like, that's nice for me. Right. right. So the reason you put those guarantees in place is so that now I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I'm giving up this nice salary and this nice right. life and whatever. I'm purely thinking about it from the perspective of what is going to be best for shareholders. So you're, you're right about that. And so then for Elon to come in and try and negate that when all of these right. guys acted in good faith right. is, I think, just really shitty. And to me, proves how Elon deals with people and how Elon treats people. And so mm-hmm. I think that that is going to have a downstream effect on getting top talent. Look, maybe his cronies and his buddies and all his people he was texting throughout this process would be willing <laughs> to come and work with him. But those aren't the guys who are going to be writing the code, my man. And engineers yeah. in Silicon Valley are expensive and they are not willing to be, you know, treated like pawns. Like, right. I-, I think this could have some real downstream effects. 
Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, the texts are just a treasure trove and I highly recommend people, um, people go take a look at them because the number of people who were just clearly engaging in flattery to be on the good side of Musk after he acquires this, um, acquires this company, including people who just flat out said, my son would be perfect for this job or <laughs> I'm perfect for this job. Like, quote, put me in coach. I mean, it's just like, oh, this is how CEOs get hired. <laughs> it's it's absolutely wild. I, I also think, you know, I just, to me, another reason why I feel like Musk is just going to do a terrible job. Like, I just want to clarify. It's not that I think it's it was necessarily a bad thing for Twitter to go private. Right. And it's not that I think that no one could do a good job running this company as a private company. Right. It's that I think Musk is going to do a terrible job running <laughs> running this company. Uh, and another reason for that is I don't think he manages resources well. Mm-hmm. So we've already heard reports um, from Bloomberg that he's having his engineers from Tesla work on Twitter code, mm-hmm. which Tesla is a public company. Okay. And you have a fiduciary duty to your shareholders to make sure that the employees at your company are benefiting your company, right? Like that is, that is one of your duties as the person running this company. And yet you're having them, what, just siphon off some ex some time and and resources to go work on your new pet project. That's insane. And it's not like he's, it's not like he's acquired this company as an affiliate, which also still wouldn't, be okay, but like right. would make it maybe a little bit more sense. But yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, it literally to me just points to the fact that you're not good at managing. You're not good at managing your resources. You're not good at you know dealing with executives. You're certainly not good at impulse control because he has tweeted every last thought that he's had throughout mm-hmm. the six months, which to me is like what you're you're literally tweeting that the company that you're about to buy is a terrible company with the bot problem, the company that you already have a binding contract to purchase mm-hmm. at a very high price. It seems like a good idea to you to be out here tweeting about how terrible it is. It's like, so it's, it's really no interesting. It's really interesting is that some of the texts that um, were exchanged between Musk and, C- and Twitter's then CEO leading up to Musk saying, no, I'm actually not going to take a board seat. Um, Musk had tweeted something disparaging about Twitter and Twitter CEO replied saying, look, I basically, please don't, you know, please don't do that. Like, you know, I would love to talk to you about your ideas for Twitter and how to make it better, but like publicly shitting all over it is not helping Twitter. Like that's not helping. So please don't. And then Musk replies like, I'm not here for this shit. That's it. I'm not joining. Basically, like, he didn't want to be told to not tweet whatever was his most recent thought on Twitter. Wasn't there for it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's a child. And how well (laughs) does it generally work out when you give children far more than they should have before (laughs) they're ready to have it? Generally, it doesn't work out well. So for all of those reasons, I, I just think that Musk is going to 
do a terrible job. The only way I could see this man doing a good job is if he manages to put his ego to the side and put his nonsense friends to the side and bring in someone actually competent to run this company. But so far, that does not look like at all what he wants to do. So far, what he wants to do is tweet out his ideas and then make those ideas happen. He tweeted about his blue check mark idea and charging $8 a month for people to get the check mark. He tweeted out the fact that he wants to make the code open source. He tweeted out as soon as right. the deal was done, the bird is freed and now we can have comedy again. We can have free speech again. Like it's 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 just impulsive and not not the way I think a company of this magnitude and this importance to his point, if it is the de facto town square, it's this important, but this is how you play, play around with it. I just, mm -hmm. I can't imagine someone like that doing a good job in this role. Offering the other side a little bit. I did see recent times reporting that was basically saying, you know, Musk's actually taken a page from Zuckerberg's book recently in that mm -hmm. despite all the tweets about, we're getting rid of content moderation. We're getting rid of censorship. Free speech rules the day. Since he's actually closed the deal, he has taken meetings with like six civil rights groups um, and, you know, groups who are dedicated to uh, preventing hate speech. Mm -hmm. um, and he has stated that they're not going to change any of the content moderation policies mm -hmm. um, before the midterm elections. Right. So he has... He has made some indications that he's trying to control his impulses, at least for <laughs> now. But I think this gets to a point that actually was very openly stated in some of the text messages, which I'm just going to keep going back to it because it's just amazing. <laughs> so Jack Dorsey, who is currently a board member and is the founder of Twitter, basically said, mm -hmm. he's like, I never should have made it a company. It's like, this was hmm. the mistake. This is the fundamental flaw. Twitter never should have been a company. It should be totally decentralized and we need to build a new platform that is yeah blockchain based and enables it to be just like run by a decentralized protocol but you're never going to be able like i'm all for you trying i'm all for you and i think he even said like i got emotional when you were when you know it was confirmed that you're going to be on the board like you're exactly what this company needs but then obviously it fell apart and jack dorsey's response is like yeah this can't be a company so I think it's interesting that, like, despite even the mm. person who created Twitter saying that, Musk, mm -hmm. like, Musk now has a company to run. You know, he has right. a product he loves. He has a company to run. I don't know how he's going to marry these two things of, like, envisioning this to be just, like, a totally open, people-run product yeah. when he has, you know, maybe not public shareholders, but he has he – has, investors and and mind you he has a lot of debt to repay he has a lot, <laughs> a of, lot debt, of debt least, at least 13 billion dollars and so right. right yeah i i mean it remains to be seen but i guess it, this brings us to our our verdict so what are your final thoughts i mean what do you make of all this i know i kind of forced you into arguing the the <laughs> good move yeah. argument but what are what are your actual final thoughts on all this my final thoughts are this is great for shareholders. This was great for the Delaware Chancery Court for not providing terrible precedent and basically showing they don't mess around. <laughs> right. um, I don't think Musk is going to save humanity. Um, I do think the $13 billion in debt he needs to repay is a very strong incentive, though, to make something that is not just like his fantasy product and is actually something that uh, 
will make money. And that that's a very large incentive, um, even for, you know, someone of his wealth. And so ultimately terrible, but I think it won't be <laughs> as bad as all of his tweets <laughs> make it out to be. That is a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it might be a little bit better than a poop emoji is what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about you? Okay. Um, well, you know what? I will begin my verdict by just letting you know that I have blocked Elon Musk on Twitter. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that is how much I dislike this man. I think he is a right wing apologist. Mm -hmm. I think he is an impulsive child. I think he is a narcissist. Mm -hmm. I think he's a terrible person. And I hate the idea of someone like that running a platform that has become so important to our country. I really hate it. And I genuinely think he's going to do a terrible job. And my mm. only hope is that he does a terrible enough job quickly enough mm. that the other shareholders, whoever else has voting control, get a hold of this man and say, you've got to step down from running right. this company before you run it into the ground. That to me is my, my hope that, you know, he plays his little games and does whatever it is he's going to do in these interim months. But eventually somebody talks some sense into him and lets him know you've got to step down. Um, I just don't think people like that should have that much power over platforms that have really become, you know, our source of news for many people, mm -hmm. our source of truth. It is just too much power in one person's hand. He was already the richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and he's proven that with all the power he has, he doesn't take that responsibility seriously at all. So, yeah, I am very anti-Musk. I have blocked him on Twitter. Um, so I'm going to be relying on you to keep me up to date with uh, his, <laughs> I'm <not laughs> his shenanigans. I've oh, never well been then. on Twitter. I just read well it in the news. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I um, I think this is a terrible, a terrible move. And it's going to be terrible for Twitter until he lets someone else run the show. That's That's my verdict. Yeah. So interesting to hear our takes again in comparison to the text. Because if you read the texts, everyone's just basically like, Musk, this is for humanity, man. You know, this is for Yikes. humanity. And we are saying, for the sake of humanity, please fail fast. Yeah. It just couldn't be Well, now, opposite. how many of those texts went to women? Just... <laughs> no, of course, I know. Of course. It's okay. all really rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm sure in the bubble that his rich, mostly white male friends are living in, this right. feels like a fantastic move. But for those of us who live in reality, I think this is terrible. All right. Well, you have it. That's our take <laughs> on Twitter after months of this deal on again, off again. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All right, guys, it's time for Judge and Jury. And if you're new here, this is the segment where we dive into recent news and ask whether a particular event was a display of good or bad judgment, because you can never underscore how important judgment is in business. So this week, again, we're talking about Bethany Frankel. KJ, fill us in. What's she done now? Yeah, <laughs> I know. We're Somehow we're talking about her once more. So 
Bethany Frankel posted a review, I believe this was last week, of a Skims product. Skims, for those of you who don't know, is Kim Kardashian's shapewear line. And she posted a review of some socks that she had received in PR. And she said, you know, these socks are great. And I actually really love them. And they're really luxurious. And what made this particular review stand out is the fact that Bethany has in recent months really gone on a tear about how sort of detrimental the Kardashians are to our culture, to society. Like she really has not had very many positive things to say about the Kardashians at all of late. So Mm -hmm. the fact that she created this review and was very positive, um, you know, a, a number of people took note. Well, Shortly thereafter, like I think a number of days thereafter, she created another video in which she said, essentially, look, when I made that video, I didn't realize that Kanye West was Mm -hmm. a part owner in Skims. So his ownership stake uh, reports say is something around 5%. Um, So in the video, she called the anti-Semitic comments that Kanye West has made dangerous and diabolical, and she even refused to speak his name. She, you know, Mm -hmm. she didn't say Kanye West. She said this person, you know, Kim's ex, but like she wouldn't speak his name. Um, And she said, look, it's come to my attention that a certain individual who I will not discuss because I decided I'm cleansing them from any conversation that I have anywhere, that individual owns 5% of skims. And basically, I'm not down with that, and I don't support that, so I'm taking down the video, and she did. So... I think the salient question to me here isn't, I mean, yes, to a certain extent, was that good or bad judgment? But I think the underlying question is to what extent should we be making decisions about businesses based on their minority ownership, right? right. Like we, sometimes it's, it, sometimes it's even impossible to know who the minority owners are in a business. So are we responsible for holding brands accountable for every last dollar put in for every last stakeholder? Um, and to that effect, was this good judgment on Bethany's part? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, obviously all of this is very like near and dear, I guess, to my heart as a Jewish person. Right. So like my visceral reaction is like, okay, Bethany, like, thank you, you know, for doing that. But I I think, Mm -hmm. and what we discussed a bit before is like, what is the mechanism for companies to be able to remove someone who is a minority stakeholder, right? Um, This isn't an employee. Um, This isn't someone you know, it's not like the Kanye Adidas situation where it's a celebrity endorsement where there's probably a termination clause that involves like acts that result in detrimental value to the brand. Like mm-hmm. he's an investor. I'm, I could be wrong. And if I am, I would love for people to engage in the comments, but I'm not aware of a mechanism where you can force a buyout of someone who owns 5%. Um, now, if such a mechanism exists, then, you know, I think it's... I, I th- I think it's another thing that companies should consider using, but I don't know that it does. And so in that case, I think the takeaway is like really scrutinize who you're taking money from and like hope that they're never going to go loose cannon in the future, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's just so important to know who's on your cap table. Um, and yeah, so I, I guess I appreciate the call out. Um, I don't know how viable it is for Skims to be able to remove him. Um, in which case I think they're in a difficult position. They just are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, 
broadly speaking, probably good judgment on Bethany's part for mm -hmm. sticking to her guns and saying like, look, I didn't know this thing. And once I knew I didn't want to support it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. When you know better, you do better. Um, so I think, yeah, probably good enough judgment from her. But I also, and I, you know, told you this um, before the show started, like, and to me, Kanye has been saying absolutely, completely dangerous, racist, anti-black things for years. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know why it was okay to support Skims then, then. and but it's not now, right? And I, so that to me is a little, you know, I just, I don't know exactly how to feel about that. I'm not mad at her for it. I get it. I, you know, like I am absolutely appalled by the anti-Semitic comments mm -hmm. that Kanye has made, but I've been appalled. I've been living in a state of being appalled for years. And right. so it, it does feel a little weird to me that it feels like this state is a new state for everyone else. Um, but I'm not like, mad about it. It's just something that I, you know, I've clocked it. And I, and, and so I'm sort of like, that's interesting. Um, but I also do think, you know, in Kim's case, in terms of know who's on your cap table, well, she did know because she married this man right. and <laughs> had four kids with this man. And right. I feel like it's actually even more acceptable to hold skims accountable because this isn't a passive investor. This isn't someone who's sort of like, made it into the cap table, you know, mm -hmm. last minute, like this, this, this was right. a considered decision. So in this particular case, and for this particular brand, I absolutely think you can hold skims right. accountable because I think Kim, I have to assume knew more than all of us <laughs> right. much, much earlier than all of us. Right. Um, so I, yeah, for, for this particular brand, I think that makes sense. I think for other brands, I I almost think people have to kind of take it on a case by case basis. Right. At least I would, right? Like if I found out today that, you know, a brand I loved had one, you know, minority stakeholder who turned out to be deeply racist, would I pause? A hundred percent. But if mm -hmm. I also found out that that person didn't know when they brought them onto their cap table, I don't know if I'd be okay holding it against them. So, right. yeah, I, yeah. I think there's probably got to be at least a little bit of grace there. Well, folks, we did it. Somehow we made it to the end, the end of this episode <laughs> and, the, and the end of the week. Um, so we're hope we hope you are loving the show. And if you are, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five star review. And be sure to follow us on social, leave comments on our posts. I'm Danny DMC on TikTok and KJ's. I'm KJ Miller. Thanks, everyone.